Sorry. Hey, Prague fans. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I am joined by... Craig. And Lee. We are three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and the personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at UP3Show, or you can contact us directly via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you can't get enough of the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our homepage at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcasts, because this helps to make sure you don't miss an episode, helps to drive us up in the rankings, and helps other prog fans find the show. Man, I missed you guys. I miss you, Tony. I feel like I haven't talked to you in minutes. Yeah, that's right. In minutes, I know. You know, we were just doing a little bit of warm-up banter. Those are the conversations that I really miss having us all together. Like, I love it every month when we record. Yeah. The text thread is awesome. Yes. But I like like, doing it live. While we're in between COVID waves here, we should kind of make it a point to go drink sometime. We should. Hey, we're going to see um, Leprous on Wednesday. Some of us are. Some of us are. I got a wife to puss out. Yeah. So explain to our (laughs) listeners why you're not going to see Leprous and the Ocean Collective. I have band practice. <laughs> well, I told you last month I joined School of Rock for Jazz for Grown Ups, and it's somehow tied in with one of the universities in town. And they've been on spring break for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And most of us in the band need practice because when they say all levels welcome, we all interpret that to mean we're welcome. You got all levels. So they meant it when they said all levels. Yeah. Anyway, we need practice. Okay. And I'm going to see Al Demiola the night before as well with uh, my guitar player friend from Fort Collins, Joe Matt. The only night everybody could make it was the night of Leprous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just hoping Leprous gets a good sound check this time. Yeah, no kidding. I'm really looking forward to seeing the Ocean Collective, too. Yes. I can't wait for that. As we normally do when we start an episode, we go around and we talk about what we've been up to in the past month or so. So I'll start with you, Craig. What have you been up to in the past month? Working. If I have a new boss and there are now expectations of me to earn my paycheck. What? That's so ridiculous. <laughs> you know, jeez, I don't get it. I, I went like a year and a half. Haven't they this heard of the great resignation? Demanding <laughs> people, man. So many people are saying, why in the world do I have to drive an hour each way to work just to like show up and sit on Zoom meetings all day? Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody's gotten used to doing Zoom so much. Yeah. Yeah. But my other thing I've been doing, my daughter did a fundraiser for Ukrainian refugees. Oh, nice. And made a bunch of these Jewish foods called humantashen, which are like pastries, delicious. And she's in New York, and I posted to all my Colorado friends if anybody wants some, thinking nobody would. And we sold so many. I've been driving around the past two days all over the freaking Denver metro area, dropping off. I'm the humantashen man. Do you know the Homentashian man? Who don't like the Homentashian man when he show up? 
Anyway, she raised uh, like 1100 bucks, made 800 Humintoshin in her tiny kitchen. So shout out to Emily. Good job, girl. Hey, good nice. job. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Lee? What have you been up to? Oh, same working. I know I told the listeners that I would have the Derek Sheranian track done by now, but I couldn't even get to it this month. So I will make a new promise and get it to you by next month because I think that's our last episode for the season. How far along are you in it? I'm pretty far, actually. I got all of his solo stuff in. I got all of his tracks in. First verse is fine, Mm -hmm. but I need to write lyrics for the second verse and then record vocals, and then I can start mixing. So the stuff that you got from Derek, Mm -hmm. did you have to give him any notes back to re-record, or was that even a thing? Nope. He was all good. He nailed it, huh? Yeah, he absolutely nailed it. Stellar stuff, and gave me a whole variety of different keyboards that I can pick and choose from, so. Nice. Tony, this is the story for you. I already told Craig this, but Uh he sent me this one track, which was this flute, and it was beautiful. It had this killer vibrato that started slowly and came in. It was kind of breathy. I loved it, and I assumed it had to be a sample library. And so I'm like, Derek, where'd you get this? And he said, it's a Mellotron. (laughs) (laughs) So when you started to tell the story, I thought it was either going to go Mellotron Or it ends with, I couldn't do it myself, so I called my friend Ian Anderson, and here you go. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I love Mellotron flutes, but I still hate the strings. That's where you landed on this, huh? <laughs> so now you're a Mellotron flute guy. Yeah, until Derek Sheridan sends me a, a Mellotron string sample. Um, but that flute is killer, man. God, it's Dude, good. You should tell him that you typically hate Mellotron. <laughs> And challenge him to give you a string. No, see, because I think that actually you can make the strings sound okay. The tone of the Mellotron that I struggle with myself is the human voice one. Oh. Oh. That's what's going on. But I will knuckle down and get this done. That sounds awesome, Lee. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, what are you doing? This is the podcast of middle-aged guys. (laughs) Yeah. Our story is, I've been slaving away at work. Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of that, too. I actually, my wife and my daughter were on a cruise the last week and I took a few days of PTO and Craig, you had messaged me and you're like, you need to go work on your Mellotron project. I did not do that. But what I did instead is I built a lot of Lego. Did you really? I did. Cool. And I was on my computer while they were out of town and I was cleaning up some files and I found a bunch of old files from when I used to do Twitch streaming. Hmm. So I'm kicking around the idea of doing that again and getting the logistics in the place of doing live streaming on Twitch. Because Twitch is mostly a place for video games, but I do educational content, like some electronics stuff, or here's some programming. Do like live coding and show people how to do stuff. I watched one of yours. I enjoyed that. That was cool. Yeah, I'm working on that. So that's what I've been up to. Very cool. How many dogs you got in your house? Oh, how many dogs do I have? Yeah. So folks that have been listening a very long time know that we had, I don't know, I'll call him the official prog dog. I don't know if that's a title we actually bestowed on him, but my dog Finn, as of today, there is a new prog dog. I mean, Finn is still the prog dog, but we have a new prog dog in the house, and her name is Orion. She's a little Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. How are you spelling Orion, and is it really just a clever way to call her Arion? <laughs> oh my god, I had not thought of that, but I love that. <laughs> there you go. As soon as we're done recording here tonight, I'm going to go tell my family this. <laughs> so, we also like to talk about what we've been listening to, so I'll start with you on this one, Lee. What have you been listening to in the last month or so? New Marillion, an hour before it's dark, and I am thoroughly impressed with this album. It reminds me quite a bit of Marbles. Oh. Lots of different sections of songs. It's actually a fairly dense album with a lot of material in it. 
Does it run the full 72 minutes or whatever? Or? Yeah, it pretty much does. I didn't time it. Nice. But I love Steve Hogarth. I think he's a great writer, a great singer. Steve Rothery, all those guys. Mm-hmm. I also downloaded the new Animals as Leaders, but I've only gone through it once, so no comments on it yet. Okay, cool. And what about you, Craig? Well, you know me. I'm a bad three of the prog three. I've been listening to a lot of jazz as usual. I've been listening to this dude named Antonio Carlos Jobim. He did Girl from Ipanema, but he actually did a bunch of other jazz standards that have become just as famous. That's all. Yeah, I haven't really been listening to much prog recently either. The new Ghost album came out, and Ghost is typically considered a metal band. But I'm really coming around as I listen to them to thinking that there's a lot of prog elements in Ghost. Yeah, the new album is called Impera, and I'm really liking it a lot. The undertone of the lyrical content juxtaposed with the very poppy sometimes, kind of straight-ahead rock melodies and musical structure. So it's kind of interesting to me. Cool. Lee, what do you got for us in the way of prog news and new releases, sir? Biggest one right now is the death of Taylor Hawkins, mm-hmm. which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Foo Fighters just feel terrible for his family and kids. Yeah. New releases out. A lot of things happen in March. A Million an Hour Before It's Dark, The Flower Kings by Royal Decree. I have actually listened to a lot of tracks on that. I really like it. Yeah. I know you're getting to be a big Flower Kings person. I like that. Really? Animals as Leaders, Parisia is out. Tears for Fears, The Tipping Point is out, and I've been listening to that one, and I like it. Kite Parade, The Way Home, and I like that one quite a bit. New Porcupine Tree, Closer Continuation, they've been releasing teasers. That's like in June sometime, I think. Yeah, that's June 24th. Teasers are Harridan and Of the New Day. There is a new James Labrie solo album coming out May 20th called Beautiful Shades of Grey, and he released a single called The Devil in Drag. New Pattern Seeking Animals coming out literally the day this podcast comes out, Mm -hmm. April 1st. And we might have some interesting news on that one here by next episode. They've released a couple of teaser tracks, I Can't Stay Here Anymore, and Rock, Paper, Scissors. Flor Janssen has released a new single called Fire. Yeah. And I thoroughly love that song. Really? Absolutely. Her solo stuff, I like when she can get away from Nightwish a little bit. Because it just sounds very big. The writing of the song is gorgeous. I just really like her voice away from Nightwish. I love her voice, too. I mean, she's a big collaborator with Arjen Lucas, and so I hear her a lot on Star One and Arion stuff. But this single isn't vibing with me a lot mm. right now, so we'll see. Maybe it's the three-listen rule. Okay. Muse has announced a new album, Will of the People, coming out in August. Haken has a new album in the works with no release date. Mm-hmm. And... We know Diego Tejeda is working on a new album, but no announcement on when that'll be out. He just recorded drums and vocals in Sweden, but that's all I know. And Alex Lifeson is now part of a new band called Envy of None, and they've released a new single called Look Inside. The only thing I would add is on April 1st, there's also a new Meshuggah album called Immutable Ah. that our listeners might be interested in from a prog metal standpoint. And, you know, it's funny, I, I, I was debating about whether I was going to put the James Labrie thing in my notes because he's been in the news in the past week or so because he's been kind of in this like Twitter back and forth with people like accusing him of lip syncing, lip syncing on stage with the Dream Theater tour. And I'm just going to say, as someone who just saw him recently in concert, there's no way he's lip syncing because it's that bad. Oh, God. God. <laughs> Want to put any varnish on that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> What do you really think? Oh, wait, it's an unvarnished opinion. I'm sorry. 
It's in the intro, Craig. I like the Dream Theater show. I thought that was good. I think they should have just done nothing but liquid tension experiment songs. Well, of course you do. So as we've gotten into the habit of doing, uh, Craig, you're going to regale us with some up-and-coming or unknown band? They're unheard of. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. We got a text through Instagram a couple months back, and it says, Dear UP3 Show, please listen to our stuff. Gives me a link. Love it or ignore it, smiley-faced, best, comma, cosmic rain, Switzerland. And I'm like, I like this guy's marketing. I like his approach. Let's give it a shot. They have a new EP out. It's called Heliopolis. And what I did is I pulled it up on SoundCloud and basically drove around 80 miles today, dropping off Clementoshin and listening to the EP over and over again. I was hooked pretty quick. I really, really, really like these guys. It's sort of a concept album, if you will. It's got a lot of references to philosophy, like some Nietzsche, some mythology. The EP is called Heliopolis. That's the first song. It's approaching Heliopolis. Uh, That's a place that actually existed in Egypt. The EP itself has five tracks, Approaching Heliopolis, that we just listened to, Hyperborean, Tired Sun, Epiphany, and The Happiest Man. And uh, let's just go right to the second clip. And that one's interesting because it's a great contrast from the first clip that was pretty chill. I like this one because in one 30-second clip, he's got some sort of traditional, normal vocals, kind of a poppy section, and then he goes into some screamo guitar stuff, so I think that was kind of fun. I like that. This blew me away. I'm being totally serious. I freaking love this EP. You know what I'm hearing, Craig? And I think Lee already said it. Slowly, you are tiptoeing into that metal world, man. No. This album grabbed me immediately. I mean, I really liked it. So by the end of driving around the Denver Metro all day, you were really like in with that angry, angsty metal side. Oh, man. I got home and I made these clips. (laughs) (laughs) The brains behind the operation is this guy named Laurent Nig. And uh, here in America, we say that name very carefully. He is on vocals and guitar. On bass is Marc Juret. Pascal Jean is in drums. And Donato Sarighete is the keyboard player. I wasn't able to find a lot of information about these guys. They have a website. Their Instagram is Cosmic Rain Switzerland. I'll do one more quick clip here. This is the big finish of the album. Damn, 
mean, how good is that? I'm going to have to go check these guys out. You know, I'm actually really glad that you do this segment now, Craig, because you're bringing stuff to me too. I'm finding stuff that I'm really digging. That's awesome. This was a pleasant surprise. So yeah, check them out. SoundCloud, Cosmic Rain Band. Awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. This whole EP is up. Thanks, Craig. And without further ado, I think let's go talk about Coheed and Cambria. When we have done previous episodes on the show and we've talked about artists that we like, typically we've come from the approach of artists that we're already pretty intimately familiar with. We kind of know them inside and out. We just want to share the joy of our fandom for this artist with, with our listeners. The band that we are going to talk about tonight is actually a band that I've kind of had at arm's length, maybe you would say. I'm aware of them. I know of them. I enjoy them. But I wasn't super deep in the fandom myself. The band I want to talk about tonight is Coheed and Cambria. If you go and you look in any kind of music publication, typically you're going to find them labeled as a prog metal progressive rock band. Right. But when I used, what, what are they Lee's rules or Craig's rules for prog? I think they're UP3 rules. Yeah. Okay, so the UP3 show rules of prog. They actually don't meet some of the characteristics and some that we actually have kind of historically considered core to it. One of them is they have keys occasionally, Mm -hmm. but they're not really a key-driven band. They're just a couple guys on guitar, a bassist, and a drummer, and they just kind of go for it. Well, I don't need keys to be in a band for it to be prog. Also... I think that they're proficient, but they're not classically proficient. They're not virtuosity proficient. That doesn't mean they don't make great music. When I started looking at why do people consider them progressive, I came across this term that I hadn't actually seen used, and it's called new prog. And this is a distinct term from neo-progressive rock. New Prog says it describes the wave of progressive rock bands in the 2000s who revived the genre. Now, some of the bands that they list are like System of a Down, Dillinger Escape Plan, Mars Volta. Interestingly, Coheed and Cambria is in this list, and they describe them as heavier versions of the more experimental bands of the 70s. With that in mind, this is a part of the intro of the very first Coheed and Cambria track that I ever heard in my life. There's definitely some keys in there. There are definitely some keys in there, but they don't have a keyboard player. Mm -hmm. Probably they are using samples when they're live. So that was circa 2006, maybe early 2007, when I was hearing that track. My wife and I at the time subscribed to Sirius XM, and they had an entire alternative rock station and an entire metal station, and I've listened to both of them pretty regularly. And this was an era of Limp Biscuit was still on the air, Mudvayne, Nickelback was still on the air a lot. And with all of those other bands in the background, this track comes on and it really struck me. Hmm. Not just the instrumentation of it being very, very different than anything else I was hearing on the radio at that time, 
But the lead singer, Claudio's vocals just really, really jumped out at me. And then before I knew it, I was hearing it at least once or twice a day on that radio station. I started to pick up that there was an underlying story in the lyrics. Hmm. This is before I discovered Dream Theater, Transatlantic, and definitely before I discovered Arion. And I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, I did a little bit of research and found that there was a sci-fi story that I didn't really know a whole lot about. I'm a big Star Trek guy. My daughter's a big Star Wars person. I don't really care about Star Wars. I like Star Trek. I like Stargate. What do you think of Star Search? Wasn't Ed McMahon on that? Yes. I was going to make an Ed McMahon joke. <laughs> Just saying Ed McMahon is enough of a joke. Like Bob Barker. All right, we're done. So a little bit about this band. Coheed and Cambria formed actually as the evolution of a different band that I'm going to get into here in just a little bit. They're from the Kingston, New York area. Hmm. I don't know if it means anything, but I see lots of bands that I like, such as Dream Theater. I just see a lot of really good, sharp bands that come out of New England. So that was just a thing that, that resonated for me. Wasn't Dream Theater out of Long Island? Yep. And Boston. Yep. And Symphony X. It's a Jersey band. Yeah. Oh, wow. Craig, like half a dozen bands that you've talked about, like when we just do recommendations or bands that you like, even if they're not prog bands, they're, they're out of New England. Long Island was a fertile ground. So there's a different band that predates Coheed and Cambria, and it's a band called Shabuti that had what would become several of the key members of Coheed and Cambria. And in 1999, they released an album called Plan to Take Over the World. And then in 2000, there was an album called The Delirium Trigger. And this is the key part I want to talk about, because this is where we start getting into the story part of Coheed and Cambria, which is kind of their reason d'etre. I've already mentioned it once. I'll mention it twice. You can fill your bingo card even quicker. <laughs> Huge fan of Arion. Arion is all about the story of that sci-fi. Those are concept albums. Mm -hmm. Coheed and Cambria, they are a concept band. This band does not exist without this story to tell. This story has had different names over time. It's all the brainchild of Claudio Sanchez, the leader of the band. It's been called the Bag Online Adventures. Nowadays, it's really referred to as the Amory Wars Adventure. I think it's a bit obtuse of a story, but this very big, grandiose story of a couple named Coheed and Cambria. That's where the name comes from, this husband and wife duo. Hmm. I'm not going to ruin story if people care about spoilers, but they have a mythos around them. They've been foretold that they were going to partake in certain events, and they're trying to undo some of those events. What time period does the story take place in? Like nebulous future. On Earth? It is, I would say, in our prime timeline, because much of the story references old Earth. And it's not like Star Wars, where... It's a galaxy far, far away. But yeah, exactly. The history of this story and the telling of this story, especially in the early part of the band Coheed and Cambria, very tied up in it. So the band Shibuti releases this album, Delirium Trigger. Many of the songs on this album start to flesh out the bones of what will become the story that Coheed and Cambria tells. Hmm. Later, after some personnel changes, these core members have left and Claudio retools the band and forms Coheed and Cambria. Some of those albums that were on Delirium Trigger get re-recorded as Coheed and Cambria tracks. They end up on Coheed and Cambria albums proper. Do you like them better as Coheed and Cambria? I don't know because it's been very difficult for me to track down the Shibuti records. Oh, got it. I heard one on YouTube, but the quality wasn't super great, so I'm not sure if it's actually legit or not. 
the original members of what would become Coheed and Cambria are Claudio Sanchez, and he sings mm -hmm. vocals and plays guitar. Travis Stever, also on guitar. John Carlio, who plays bass. And then we have Nate Kelly on drums. This is like Shibuti turning into what would become Coheed and Cambria. And then in like the 99, 2000, 2001 timeframe, it changes to Claudio Sanchez, Travis Stever, Michael Todd on bass, and then Josh Eppert on drums. As I was mentioning about the sound of this band, they're not a key heavy band. They're not what you would typically think of as a prog sounding band. Their version of being progressive is taking a lot of styles and structures that we might already be familiar with and mixing them up in different ways. So you get a lot of very metal sounding parts. You get a lot of pop. You get mainstream rock sounds. You get punk and ska. Wow. And the thing that I see as very progressive about it is how they construct these things because they put them together in a mishmash where a song may start up sounding melodic, maybe even orchestral, to very driving beat, to metal. Learning about this and like how they do this, I've really learned how limited my music theory is. I can tell there's something really cool going on, but I can't describe it like a music geek would. Can you play a sample right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have one. I thought of this like five minutes before we got on. That was cool. There was like three or four really different things going on. And the first thing I noticed is there isn't really a rhythm guitar or keyboard track tying it together. It feels like just a bunch of individual lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They'll kind of crack the sky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That band does the same thing. People will be playing individual lines and it works together, but you're missing that one whole note middle line that pulls it all together. That's a very interesting take. I trust you guys on the music theory side of this way more than just about anyone else. I can tell there's something really interesting going on here, but I can't necessarily pick it out to describe it. And you guys mentioned Crack the Sky there. Yeah. That's really what I would like to hear you guys talk about is what other influences are you hearing? Well, I've had other people try to turn me on to Coheed and Camry off and on, and they always say it like this. If you like Rush, go listen to Coheed and Cambria. Interesting. <laughs> and it's always because of the vocalist. Yeah, I hear that as well. Mm -hmm. For that reason, I have gone every now and then to like YouTube or whatever, and I've tried to listen to a couple tracks. And I hear the high vocal range and all that. I get why people say that. But otherwise, I don't really think it sounds like Rush at all. And it's really kind of a shame because I think if it wasn't presented that way, more people might be listening. I actually shy away as much as I can from trying to get people into bands by making references to other bands because I don't think that they can ever live up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Even if you've got influences, every band kind of is putting things into the blender in their own way. All it does is it, it sets somebody's ear in a certain direction before they've even listened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can certainly hear it in his intonation and in his vocals. 
He's got that very high timber like Getty Lee did. But that's where that comparison ends for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things that I've really noticed with Claudio, his diction is something that comes up a lot when people talk about his vocals because he's a pretty solid tenor. He can go higher. Yeah. But I've only heard him speak naturally in a few interviews. But his singing diction, he does sometimes some very peculiar pronunciations of things. And sometimes it feels like he's doing it just to fit the melody. Also, he will syncopate his voice really well with the bass or really well with the drum line. And I've always found that interesting because this is a big sci-fi epic. There's a lot of combat. There's a lot of war. And I typically find that he does that in scenes that are describing hand-to-hand combat or war or militaristic actions and things like that. And it feels very military to me. I'm finding that what I thought was super interesting and would keep me in there was the story. I just, I love these big sci-fi epic stories, especially in concept albums. But the way that the band comes together musically has been really interesting to me, something I, I wasn't expecting. Yeah, just from the couple of clips you've played already, there is more variety than I thought there would be. Yeah. Because I don't know anything about these guys. I just said, Coheed and Cambria playlist. And everything sort of sounded the same that this track you just played where it's like, oh, crack the sky. Oh, yeah. It's like when you're talking about wine or beer, it's like, oh, yeah, there's notes of raisin and plum and blah, blah, blah. You know, well, that's the thing. Their version of Prague is let's take other stuff we can do really well Mm -hmm. and just put it in a blender and see how it comes out. So you'll have entire tracks that are kind of just a mainline rock song or tracks that are kind of punk ska sounding or a really heavy metal track. And then you'll have tracks that have all four of those things. So how many albums do they have? There are nine albums. There is a 10th album coming. Yes. I think it's May. I think it's May too. And some people count the Shibuti stuff because there is some stuff that's not fully made its way into the Coheed and Cambria mainline. Mm Mm-hmm. But most people start at the very first Coheed and Cambria album from 2002, then 03, then it was 05, and then 07. Oh, sorry. So it's every other year. These albums, as they're telling the story, there's an arc, and they get to the end of an arc in 07. And then there's another set of albums starting in 2010 that start to tell a different arc of the same story. Hmm. And they go through 2013. Then they do their one and only album in 2015 that's not directly related to the sci-fi story. The band was kind of going through some stuff, and Claudio did an album of personal story. And then in 2018, they got back to the Amory Wars storyline. I wonder if he was going through something in his life at the time. The band wasn't broken up, and the band did record this album, but it was taking a breather from the main storyline. Maybe they were recouping to come up with more storylines. This album was not related to the Amory Wars. Got it. So what I wanted to do is walk you through a little bit of the chronology and let you hear some of the sound as it changes over time. Okay. So from 2002, this is on their album, A Second Stage Turbine Blade, and this is the track Time Consumer.
And that's from their debut album. I love the music and I am sad that I haven't heard this till now and not crazy about the vocals. Talk about that more because I've had this thought myself. It's a me thing, I'm sure, because I really love instrumental music and I love what they do with the instrumental stuff. I feel like they walk right up to some line of awesome instrumentation and awesome instrumental songwriting and then they sort of back down and dude starts singing. So it's interesting that you say that because that's exactly the reaction that I get from Haken, right? <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Ross, be quiet and let the guys play. <laughs> like you're ruining a great track. Shut up and play your guitar. Like I said, I heard Welcome Home on the radio. Everything about it blew me away. I think I bought that album straight away and then maybe bought one of the other albums soon after. Mm-hmm. I really dug the vocals on that track. Mm-hmm. But it took me a long time to come around to hearing Claudio's vocals on all the other tracks and really accepting it, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And now I just consider it part of the thing. And even though nobody ever said blah, 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 they're like Rush, the second I hear a syllable out of his mouth, it's like a Rush cover band sound. That's interesting because, you know, Lee said that I listened to a decent amount of Rush. I mean, I'm not Rush super fan. Mm -hmm. And I kind of came to Rush later. Like, my first real exposure to Rush was on Snakes and Arrows. Oh, that's way later. Yeah. And actually, they were on that same radio station. They were probably getting airplay for that album at the same time Coheed and Cambria was getting airplay for Welcome Home. So that is actually what got me to go back and listen to the older Rush material. And I don't make that connection. That's really bizarre to me that I don't make that Getty Lee connection. I definitely hear it. Sounds kind of mid-rangey, sort of nasally. Mm-hmm. Just not quite as thin as Getty's voice. Okay. And that's not an insult to Getty because I love Getty's voice. If you're going to talk about the Rush sound, you need to talk about the Power Trio sound. Mm. And I don't feel like that's what Coheed and Cambry are doing. I agree. Yeah, not at all. And I think that's one of the reasons why his voice might sound thin to you. Because if you're going to have a vocalist like that, you've got to have something that kind of fills that sound out because it's, it's a very narrow frequency range, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't really hear that. That track again, like Craig said, very thin, not a lot going on in the middle, and another Crack the Sky-ish kind of mix. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And that's like a really old one you just played, right? Yes. That one's from 2002. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. I wonder what the later ones sound like. Yeah. They might still have been figuring out production. That is definitely a thing. Their sound is consistent. Their production is not. Okay. And I think over time... They get the production nailed down and dialed in. Good. And it really opens things up and you get this really big, rich sound. So given that I'm trying to treat this as a little bit of a getting started guide for Coheed and Cambria, (laughs) one thing I want the listeners to know is that, yes, the first time you see them, their album titles are weird, but they're not weird once you get into the story. (laughs) So the first album, like I said, was called The Second Stage Turbine Blade. Well, the next album is called In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth, colon, three. <laughs> Those two are actually telling the second and third parts of the story. Kind of like Star Wars, the albums are not telling the story in chronological order. Mm. The next couple of albums are, and these are super long, mouthful album titles, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. <laughs> So why hasn't this band taken off? I just don't understand. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This shit rolls off the tongue, man. 
<laughs> and then the next album is Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Volume 2, No World for Tomorrow. Is this like an acronym that's just like an inside joke or something? It's- no. At first, I was like, oh my God, what is going on with these titles? In research for this episode, I knew that there was this big expanded universe of the Amory Wars, and there's comic books. The comic book story has been compiled into a novel. Really? There's a lot. There's a lot of media. And is it all written by band members? It's or all written it... by Claudio. Wow. This is like all his brainchild. He's telling this big story. So take this title. Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. There are a lot of nouns in that title that don't mean what you think they mean. Uh, hmm. Burning Star 4 is a thing in the world. Okay. Apollo is a character, even from fear through the eyes of madness, means something specific in context of the world. Okay. Okay. Like a book title. It's making references to events and to people and to characters inside of the world. There are whole Wikipedia pages and other places, even before the comics came out, that were cobbling together this story. Okay. And I will say that if you put them up against each other, this world is a much richer sci-fi world than the Arion world. I was just going to ask you that. I can't believe you said that. I'm telling Arion. Uh, yeah, I need to email Arion and my apologies. Well, he'll know. He's, he's a listener. And like, make sure he doesn't refuse to sell me the next Arion album or something. That's really interesting. You know, honestly, it's enough that comic books and novels have been written. I have to imagine somewhere in the back of his head, Claudio's at least fantasized about the idea of a TV treatment or a film treatment. It is big and grandiose in that way. So let me let you listen to a track from their 2003 album, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth. They've actually been very popular so far, Craig, but... Billboard refuses to put any of these song titles down. Well, it's, it's more it's more than a column with... Nobody will sit there and type it out. <laughs> it takes the whole byline. <laughs> so that's why you never hear them. And they're not even sentences. They're just a lot of words. They are a lot of words. They're like word salad. That's a track where the reason I included it was because I love the melody of that. And I actually think that the vocals get in the way there. (laughs) So these first two albums, Second Stage Turbine Blade and Silent Earth 3, they're kind of early Mm -hmm. as they're metamorphosing from being Shibuti into Coheed and Cambria. So we're circa 2004. Then we get into what I think is probably the most popular era of Coheed and Cambria, where they were the most visible. Hmm. And this is from circa 2005 to 2007, where they have the duo of Good Apollo. It's interesting because they've got a new album coming out and someone was interviewing Claudio and was like, hey, Claudio, if someone wanted to get into Coheed and Cambria, what were some tracks that you would have them lead with? He says, I could easily say it's Welcome Home, which is the track we listened to earlier. Mm -hmm. And most people think of the band as that. It's probably our most popular, so maybe just go with the tried and true. But I also really like this new track that they have, Shoulders. There's so many colors of the band. There's just a lot of different sounds. Right. I'm already starting to see that. You know, we've talked about this before of when is a prog band not a prog band. 
if they go too far afield too often. But in this case, I think that them going afield is actually what keeps them prog. Mm -hmm. There's like a lot of experimenting. It all still feels consistent to me. It's a different style. Like this is a metal track or that's a punk track. Mm -hmm. But it all feels distinctly Coheed and Cambria. It remains consistent. It does. It does remain consistent. We listened to Welcome Home. There's another very popular single that came out in that same era, and it's called Ten Speed. Now the production's getting a little more complex. Yes. And so that's why in this era of circa 2005 to 2007, they had mass appeal. The vocals are starting to grow on me. Okay. Talk to me about that. I think it's the Coheed and Cambria five listen of the vocalist thing. Okay. It took a little while to lock in. His melody lines are a little weird. Yes, definitely. They sort of jump around. They're a little dissonant. Yeah, dissonant or something. They're just... Certainly not linear. They're just different enough that it took me a little while to kind of lock on. But my point is, I'm getting there. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. I've talked about Tommy Karavik's vocal lines in a lot of Seventh Wonder feel a little dissonant. Like he just sang a melody line and then put it on the track. Sometimes they don't feel like they mesh quite right. Mm -hmm. I get that not all the time, but a decent amount with Coheed and Cambria too. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. I can see that. Because I agree with you about Tommy Karavik and Seventh Wonder. So the first couple of albums from Coheed and Cambria were on Equal Vision Defiance Records. And then they go to Columbia. As of In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3, they're on Columbia. And then part one of Good Apollo, part four, is on Columbia. So they are on Columbia for a good part of this. But their production team has been pretty consistent with Michael Birnbaum and Chris Bittner. And I'll see if you guys can notice a difference when we go to part two of Good Apollo. Rick Rubin is one of the producing credits on that album. And Nick Raskulinich. I don't know if that's a known personality, but the one that jumps out at me is Rick Rubin. The first track I want you to listen to here is a track called No World for Tomorrow. That's the first song that has really hooked me. Okay, so talk to me about why. The recording of the vocal is a lot better. I can hear slap back on his vocals a little bit. He did his own harmonies on top of the main vocal line. That chorus, I think, just flows a lot more than the other ones have. Mm -hmm. I think the vocal tracks more with what's going on with the music. Right. I hear a lot more low end on that one, which I don't hear on a lot of the others. Yep, I agree with that. So the other one I want to pair with that one from the same album is a track called The Running Free. Spin your 
Hmm. Can't say I like that. <laughs> okay, so what is it you don't like about that? I don't like that. Ah, 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 ah. Very poppy. Went to, went to Taylor Swift all of a sudden. <laughs> it, it's kind of like they recorded that track and they could have just muted it. Yeah. And it would have been great. And they forgot to and they're like, ah, crap, we're out of time. Among fans, that's one of their most popular tracks. Really? Yeah. Makes sense, but it's too bad. I wouldn't go to that track a lot. Yeah. I respect it in its place on the album and what part of the story it's telling. But it's one of the cases I make where they go in these weird directions. Yeah. Let's go in this poppy direction or let's do this weird melody. At the point in the story where that song comes on, is that poppiness warranted? That's a very interesting question because there are a lot of places, including that track, where if you pair the melody and the tonality of the track with what's being conveyed in the story, they don't match. Mm. Singing like a Taylor Swift melody, but the lyrics are like, I want to kill you and eat your body parts. Like, it's like... <laughs> the uh-oh, uh-oh is like the protagonist just got back together with his girlfriend, or she just got back together with her boyfriend. I don't want to be sexist. And at that point, maybe it would work if there's a firing squad going on villages are getting decimated that probably doesn't work as well yeah that kind of overlay definitely does happen in coheed and cambria where the tonality and the body feel of the track does not match the subject matter of the track that track's the first one that i agree with you about throwing things in a blender yeah there's like a lot going on in that track thinking back of the four or five tracks you've played there is definitely a blender element to it yes i think that's accurate over the many episodes we've done it's kind of hard to capture a band's whole vibe in a 30-second clip, whereas these guys in a 30-second clip, there's a ton of stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. Even in one track, it's really, really hard to find the part of the track that I want you to listen to, mm -hmm. because the intro is going to be very different than the outro, typically. Do I want you to listen to the chorus, or do I want you to listen to the bridge? There's a lot of different moving parts. Yeah. So thematically... We're at about 2009 with this, and this is the close of the first arc of Coheed and Cambria's story. Now, after Good Apollo Part 1, the band did start to fall apart a little bit. Their bassist, Michael Todd, and then their drummer, Josh Eppard, both left. And to outside viewers, the band seemed in pretty deep crisis. So it's in this timeline around circa 2005-2006 where the band's not doing much and it seems to be in crisis, that Claudio goes off and he does a solo project called The Prize Fighter Inferno. Oh. And this is actually an in-canon story solo album, like side project. It's like Mandalorian. You are like right on the nose with that. So there's this character who's this prize fighter and he goes by Inferno. And he will actually come back later in another part of the story. but. Claudio went off and did this solo thing, and it's much more acoustic sounding, very different sound than mainline Coheed and Cambria, but it is in canon. Some people classify it as folk rock. It's got some electronic elements in it, but it's not the Coheed and Cambria sound, and it's not a Coheed and Cambria album. So the band is kind of riding a high. They've had Good Apollo Part 1 out. People want closure on this story, and Michael Todd goes off on his own loses connection to the band. Mm -hmm. Eventually, he does get himself together and reconciles with the band. But Josh Eppard does not, and they have a different drummer, and the band reforms. The new drummer is Chris Penny. 
and does Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Part 2. That's where they got the Rick Rubin-produced album. That's the two tracks that we just listened to. This was the height, I think, of their popularity. And I, at this time, had only had the two Good Apollo albums. At this point in time, this is when I was getting into Arion Transatlantic Dream Theater, so my attention was elsewhere. Then we come to 2012 and 2013, and these next two albums are the ones that brought me back to Coheed and Cambria in a big way. Another two-part set called The Afterman Ascension and The Afterman Descension. They're prequel stories to the Amory Wars story, so they're happening before any of the other events. The vibe I get from them is a lot of claustrophobia. (laughs) The story that it's telling is about this astronaut who's on a mission, and he's solo other than this AI computer that he's interacting with. And he has a mission, think Quantum Leap a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about the production of these two albums that I really, really enjoy. So the track I want you to listen to from 2012's The Afterman Ascension is called Domino the Destitute. When I sit down, I go, you know what? I want to listen to Coheed and Cambria today. It's these two albums. And I want to like it, but I just can't get there. I don't disagree with you. There's a lot I really like about Coheed and Cambria. And I think on balance, I like Coheed and Cambria, but sometimes it's like hugging a porcupine. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> analogy. So in 2012 and in 2013, they released these albums back to back. The next album is The Afterman Descension. And the the track we're going to listen to from that is called Gravity's Union. Now, I really like that. Yeah. All right. What is the relationship of that song to the song right before that? They're just another part of this adventure. But are they on the same album or? Is... Technically, no, because the Afterman Ascension and Dissension are two separate albums, but they go together to form one story. So it's the same astronaut character who's having these experiences, tapping into the fabric of space time and exploring these quantum leap lives of other people. Because just musically, they felt very similar. Yes, and the two are very cohesive. Like I said, when I'm feeling like listening to Cohen and Cambria, it's these two albums together. I like the writing much better here. Yes. But I identified another thing about his vocals that I don't like. He's got the kind of vibrato that's just a tremolo. Oh. It's on or off. People come in with vibrato. You'll hear him kind of slowly start the vibrato and bring it in. Yeah, like think of a violin. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is just on or off. It's very binary. Right. It's a very quick vibrato, too. That's an interesting take. Okay. So those were both in 2012 and 2013, like I mentioned. And then after the Afterman happens, there is a lineup change. 
Claudio obviously stays with the band. Travis Stever is in the band still. But then we have Zach Cooper come in to play bass. And then we have Josh Eppard come back and begin playing drums again. In that period of time after that lineup change, that's where they had the non-related album called The Color Before the Sun. This is that album of personal works from Claudio. And that was in 2015. Then they come back in 2018, they get right back into this Amory Wars story with the album Vaxus Part 1, The Unheavenly Creatures. Probably the most representative track I could find for that is an eponymously titled track called Unheavenly Creatures. Again, another non sequitur sound to this track. They go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Lee, you had mentioned earlier, I don't know how much the writing has changed. Okay. I think the writing definitely has matured. I don't think you can do something like this for 20 years and not mature, not take on new influences. But I think definitely they've upped their production game. I agree with that. They've learned how to get more out of a track. I don't want to use the word cover up, but I think it changes the focus of a track. Obviously, he's a vocalist. He's got a very distinctive sound. Claudio's vocals are always going to be there, but I don't hear it being as present in the mix as it was on the early albums. It fits more into the mix. Yeah, I think you're right. On the newer stuff, his voice isn't sitting out by itself nearly as much. Definitely in the more recent albums, they've had more of the bottom end come out. One thing that has changed over time is that they started doing more self-production. And so Vaxus Part 1, this album that this track is from, entirely self-produced. For someone as prolific as he is, like Claudio, where he's got this big vision, I'm going to call back to Arian again for this same kind of reason. Arian produces his own albums. He has a sound that he's going for. He has a way he wants his information to be presented. Self-production is a very easy way to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that the same thing happens here as well. So that brings us up to modern times. It's now in 2022. Probably by the time the listeners are listening to this, in about six or eight weeks, you have a new Coheed and Cambria album coming out, Vaxus Part 2. And the most recent single at the time of this recording from that is a track called Shoulders. like that he does another uh, uh, oh <laughs> that's a claudio thing and yeah. i gotta call him out a little bit because they've got another funny title this is vaxus act two a window of the waking mind that's not nearly as bad as the other one no it's not actually it was kind of a joke at the time when good apollo part one came out i remember listening to it and the djs on sirius would just go this is just coheed and cambria i'm not going to tell you what album it's from <laughs> <laughs> Because we only have so much time. I'm not going to try to introduce this. You got to get an advertiser to sponsor (laughs) saying the title. There you go. You know, it's interesting. I've enjoyed talking to you guys because you guys, exactly as I expected, brought a lot of the music theory, right? As someone who doesn't have training but has enough experience to know I'm listening to something special, I can pick up on those parts, but I can't always put the descriptions to it. So I really appreciated you guys putting the more music science terms on it. Cool. Yeah. 
I'm looking forward to listening to more of them, to be very honest. I mean, I think we were kind of maybe hypercritical. Which version of them? I don't know. I don't even want to answer that. Because that very first song that sounded kind of Crack the Sky-like, yeah, that was kind of cool. I want to hear more of that. Okay. I'm really looking forward to the new album, because I really like that last track. Yeah, I don't really go to the first couple of albums. I really like the good Apollo albums. I really, really, really love the Afterman sequence. I think that that's bar none my favorite part of their entire discography. They're getting me back into it a little bit with the Vaxis sequence that's going on right now. And then we'll kind of see where things go in the future for Coheed and Cambria. I hope I gave the listeners what I intended, which was here's how to be a new listener of Coheed and Cambria. I think the storyline is kind of cool and people can get something out of it if they go discover for themselves. They're one of those bands that I don't actively always seek them out, but I do definitely enjoy them when I listen to them, especially the Afterman sequence, like I mentioned, and I'm really looking forward to their new album that's coming out this spring. So we like to do one, maybe two things to recommend. So do you guys have anything that after listening to Coheed and Cambria, you think you might want to recommend? I don't have any recommendations out of it. I don't either. But you convinced me enough with the latter production work that I want to hear some of the later albums. Awesome. My recommendation specifically for Coheed and Cambria, if you want one album to go get into, go listen to Good Apollo on Burning Star 4 Part 1. If you want to get a more comprehensive experience, go listen to The Afterman Ascension and The Afterman Descension, but put them on back-to-back and listen to them together as a sequence. Cool. If you want to take what we talked about from a Coheed and Cambria perspective and maybe branch it out into other prog or prog-adjacent stuff, I'm not going to recommend Arion because I do that enough anyway, and we have an episode about it, but I will say go listen to Arian Lucasen's other project, Star One. It has a very similar metal-ish vibe to it, and a very similar kind of concept band that I would recommend here is The Ocean Collective. Because while it's not sci-fi, it is very much thematic and concepty, and it's about the geological phases of the damn Earth. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Right. So as we exit, don't forget you can find us on Twitter at UP3Show and on Instagram at the same handle. You can also contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. And as Craig mentioned earlier in the top of the show, reach out to us. You just might find us featuring you on his Unheard Of segment. Yeah. We definitely want to hear from you guys. Uh, What topics you want us to cover? Tell us about your music that you'd like us to promote. If you want to show us some support, it's very, very easy. You can support us non-financially just by hitting the subscribe and like button wherever you get your podcasts. You can also throw a few nickels our way on our Patreon at patreon.com slash up3show. And that'll help us pay for things like hosting to make sure that we don't have to take down episodes and you can always get the show. Thank you guys very, very much for joining us. And we can't wait to talk to you next month. Bye. Bye. Hey, folks, Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting everything you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We make no claim of copyright to any of the music featured in our samples and strongly recommend that you support the artists we talk about by buying their albums and merchandise or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together.